Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. I am Hana Lee, president of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Ann Stendig. I'm a freelance writer who covers food and beverage. I'm also editor-in-chief at Hanalee Communications. As a PR professional myself and Michael as a journalist, we understand the power of media coverage and its positive impact on someone's career and business. That's why our agency created this podcast, to give back to our beloved hospitality and travel community that's facing incredible challenges during this time. So each week, we interview top journalists who share their insights and tips. In this episode, we chat with Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur. This champion of change is also the host of three thought-provoking podcasts, Pessimist Archive, Problem Solvers, and Hush Money. Hi, Jason. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. So before we get into the thick of this, you're Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Yes. Could you explain to our listeners what exactly an editor-in-chief is and what you do on a day-to-day basis. It's very funny that you ask. People ask me that, and I have not come up with a succinct answer, but I'll try to be as succinct as possible. Um, You know, an editor-in-chief is ultimately responsible for the editorial direction of a brand, and every brand's editor-in-chief is going to be a little different. I have worked under in prior jobs, I've worked under EICs that also oversaw the business side of things. I've worked under EICs that really only cared about the print side of things and didn't even focus on digital. Everything's a little different, but ultimately it's the person who is responsible for creating the direction of the brand. Ultimately, everything that is published should in some way be seen as hard on digital, but certainly in print. And uh, and I also think of the editor-in-chief as the person who is the spokesperson for the brand, who kind of goes out in his face of brand. You recently featured 137 entrepreneurs on the magazine cover. I did. So usually we know it's like a one or two lucky people. But so how did it come about? Well, yeah, so this it's funny. People, you know, I know we're going to talk a lot about how people get press and how they approach and something that people tend to do, which is logical and sometimes and in uh, other times illogical is that they see something that was published and they assume that this is now some kind of ongoing opportunity. Right? So I, I remember when I was at Fast Company once, I wrote a story about cat food brands. And then for the next three months, I got every single pitch that any publicist who works with a cat related brand would send. And I, you know, and I I was like, my joke was like, I am not on the cat beat. (laughs) And so the, you know, the, the 137 came out, which I'll explain in a second, but, uh, and, and I started actually getting a bunch of emails from people being like, how can I get on the next one? And there is no next one. There's no next one. It's a one-time only thing. But the idea that we had was that uh, we wanted to do an issue that honored all entrepreneurs because there has been so much stepping up in this time, either to be there for your team, for your community, for your industry, for your whatever. And um, it didn't feel right to put one singular person on the cover. And so we tried to cram as many people as we possibly could. And the math actually worked out to 137. 
By the way, we were so excited to see about 20% of the honorees are from our own industry, hospitality and travel. I love that you crunched the numbers. I did not. I would not have known that off the top of my head. And it was so great to see, uh, you know, some of their, you know, names like Chef Tom Clicchio, uh-huh. John Tapper, Tariq yep. Farid. Right. So, how do you choose these people? What's the criteria? Right. So, listen. I would try to set aside your desires. I speak to your listeners to be on the cover of a magazine because it is a limited set of opportunities. Um, this thing that we did was really unique, where we had a smattering of famous people throughout, but. Our goal was largely to have people that you've never heard of, which really, which is the opportunity to do that, right? I mean, I, I hate that the marketplace rewards putting famous people on the cover. If the if it was possible to sell magazines on newsstands with people that you've never heard of on the cover, well, then I would prefer to do that. But that's not how the world works. So we usually put celebrities on the cover of the magazine. And so, and they, they are celebrities from the hospitality world. John Taffer actually had once had his own cover. We have Bobby Flay was on the cover. We've had uh, hospitality folks on the cover before. But, um, but this was an opportunity, I felt like, where we, the statement that we were making was a collective that we didn't need to lean on celebrity as much. And so, and so we didn't. Um, the way that we made the decision, uh, which, you know, so again, it's a one-time thing, so don't put any stock into it in the future. But really, we were we were honestly we're you know what? Actually, there is a lesson here because this this cover functioned in a similar way to every list issue that I have ever been a part of, not just at Entrepreneur, but at Fast Company when I worked there and when I've I've freelanced and helped out with other lists. Um, you know, you look at these list issues, hundred most innovative, this or that, or hundred whatever. Um and people always wonder how to get on those. And the answer is that there's really no specific methodology to them. It is very, very editorially driven, and it's about the mix. So we're looking for a mix of people, a mix of industries, a mix of types, a mix of ideas. Um, and uh, and so the best thing that you can really do is just kind of be on people's radars on a consistent basis so that when they're sitting around and trying to pull these things together and they're like, you know, we need another person from the hospitality space. They're like, aha, I remember that person. So, Jason, you write for the magazine, online, and host a podcast for Entrepreneur. How do you decide what goes into print, what goes online, and what goes on your podcast? How do you choose the medium that you tell your story in? It's a great question. The answer is that each of those mediums are serving different roles in what I think of as different audiences. So it's not really like I find a story and I say, I would like to run this in print. It's that I find a story and I say, oh, this is a story for print. Um, I'll break it down for you as it is for entrepreneur, but of course, every publication is going to be a little bit different. So I see entrepreneur in print and online, they're both service oriented. So they're both ultimately telling people how to do something, but they're doing it in very different ways. Online stuff is largely explicit service. So it's really clearly saying, do this step one, do this step two, do this step three. Print is implicit service. So we do very little of addressing the reader directly or of giving very specific advice. Instead, what we're constantly looking for are opportunities to tell somebody's story in a way in which it is informative for our reader. I don't want anything in the print magazine to 
just be about the person that I'm writing about. You know, in the way in which, and I, I know that this may not make sense if you're not in the industry, but think of it like this. If you pick up Vanity Fair and you read a profile of a celebrity, that profile is just about that celebrity. The only thing that that profile is about is that celebrity. The only itch that it is scratching is your interest in that celebrity. But in Entrepreneur, we're doing something different. So instead of writing about somebody just because you'd be interested in them. We're writing about somebody because they have something to teach you. And so the story as we tell it is very, very focused on the decisions that they made, why they did something, how they solved a problem. And we're constantly trying to extract this information so that somebody can read it and say, ah, I now have a better idea of how I can solve a, a similar problem in my own business. So when we find those opportunities, got to have a good narrative. It's got to have a good character and it's got to have at its core a really valuable takeaway. Then it becomes a print story. And then for a podcast, it's something else. In this case, the mission of my podcast problem solvers that I do for entrepreneur is to really walk through how somebody solved one specific individual problem in their business. How did they do it? And it's got to be relatable. Uh, it's got to be uh, and, and the solution has to be something that other people could replicate in some way. And so when I find somebody who's got that great anecdote, something that'll just take 15 minutes to tell that story, then that's what I do. And then sometimes these things are transferable because sometimes I talk to somebody for the podcast and, and afterwards I'm like, you know what? That actually was a perfect 600 word print story or whatever the case is. It can move around. But my advice to anybody when they're trying to land their own piece is to understand the differences between what's being communicated in each medium and then target the one that you feel you fit best. So in terms of entrepreneurs content, how much of it comes from outside of pitches, people like us uh, versus your own writers or freelancers? Well, it comes about in a ton of different ways. I don't think that there's, unlike you, I've never sat back and tried to tabulate uh, percentages of where everything in the magazine was. So I don't, I don't know the answer to where uh, exactly the, the, what percentage of things came to us through pitches. Um, you know, certainly some portion of it does. Uh, people are pitching our, our staff, they're pitching me, although I would discourage that, uh, that just because my, my inbox is, is so stuffed that I'm going to delete almost every single thing that comes my way. But, um, and they're pitching freelancers who, you know, who work with us and we do work with freelancers. Uh, and so sometimes things just kind of, you know, they, they, they come to us, but also I, I, I mean, you know, let's, let's be honest, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I say this uh, with love knowing the, the side of the um, business that you guys are on, but I, I don't really like getting stories from PR people because it makes me feel lazy and right? it makes me feel like I'm not doing my job and going out in the world and finding good stories. Uh, you know, like my job isn't to sit here and just like print something that somebody asked me to print, right? Like my, my job is to go out and sift through the world and find the stuff that's going to be most valuable for my readers. So you have to kind of work extra hard to overcome my general resistance to publishing something just because it was pitched to me. And so I, another way that I get a lot of stories, at least in before coronavirus, is that I would speak at conferences and I would talk to people afterwards. Uh, I would take random meetings. I would go to 
incubators, I would just chat with people and, and, and somebody would tell me to talk to this person and somebody would tell me to talk to this person. Also, I would sometimes source things online. I, sometimes I would, I would just post on Instagram or LinkedIn and say, uh, you know, Hey, um, is anybody done something like this or whatever? And then, you know, of course, a whole bunch of um, publicists will reach out about that. Uh, and I, but I actually don't really like hearing from them because I sort of think that's not the opportunity for you. Like you have different opportunities, right? Like this is an opportunity for the entrepreneurs. So it's a mix, I guess, is the bottom line. It's a mix, but but I think that the best thing that you can do is to is to really understand the kinds of stories that a publication is telling, and then reach out in a way in which you're very clearly communicating your story in a way that they would communicate your story. Speaking of social media, do you use it to find story ideas or identify people to interview? I I am sure that at some point somebody has caught my eye on social and I have written about them. Though honestly, it is more likely that somebody caught my eye on social and then I just developed some kind of relationship with them. And uh, so, for example, there's this woman. I You know what? It's funny. I'm embarrassed because now I've known her for a while and I don't exactly know how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Kaup, Kim Kaup, K-A-U-P-E, but it could be something else. Sorry, Kim. Um, anyway, she's got a company called Superfan and she just started doing this really smart series called Coffee with Kim on LinkedIn, uh, where it was originally, it was just a video. It was just her. It was like a video of her talking direct to camera, holding a cup of coffee and offering some advice. And it was getting really good engagement. It just started showing up on my feed. And I thought, this is somebody who is very smart, like just very smart um, in this space, probably worth knowing, um, has developed a good following. And so I followed her and I sent her a message and just said, Coffee with Kim is really smart. Um, congratulations. And we, you know, we, we stayed in touch online. We eventually did get coffee. And, uh, and you know, and now, uh, now I consider her kind of part of my network. She hasn't gotten any coverage out of me. She also hasn't asked for any coverage. And, and, and I like that a lot because, of course, most times, most people interact with me. If they're not asking me for coverage the second that they reach out, it's like the second thing that they say to me. And I, it's exhausting. That's what everybody wants. So, um, I, I, you know, I would think that the better move is really to... Um, to just try to develop relationships with people because it'll be more powerful in the end. Now, how is it going to be powerful for Kim? I have no idea, but she also wasn't like trying to get my attention. She was just producing something good. I think that when you develop good relationships in the industry, that things just happen at the right time. Um, the right opportunity comes along. I mean, the next time somebody says, who do you know who's a great female entrepreneur who's like amazing on camera, I'm going to say, you got to go talk to Kim, right? Like it's, it, it, no, who knows? It, it all just kind of happens. Um, people do pitch me on social media in the DMs. And um, honestly, I find that pretty annoying. <laughs> uh, years ago, you talked about the concept of right idea, wrong time. Oh, yeah. Do you still agree with that? Let's say a client of ours wants to open up a bar during this current difficult economic situation. Would it be the right idea at the wrong time? Yeah, I very much believe in the idea of right idea, wrong time. In fact, I mean, it's it's funny. I don't even, I know I talked about it before. So great memory on wherever you pulled it from. But I literally just recorded an episode of Problem Solvers that was that was about right idea, wrong time. Um, you know what? You know what's funny is the the 
putting 137 people on the cover is an example of right idea, wrong time, because the the first time that I tried that was in college. Uh, like this idea of putting 137 people on the cover is actually just is, is just me reviving something that I did in college when I ran Wheat Bread magazine, the student magazine, and I put every student's name on the cover of the magazine. And it was fun and it worked. And, it, you know, at the time I thought, well, that was a good idea for the moment. But then two decades later, some awful number, I um now running this national magazine and I wanted to create a similar effect, which was to create a sense of community with a magazine cover. And this thing that I had done a long time ago, I realized wasn't actually for that time. That was just the test drive for this time. And so, yeah, I listen, I think that I think that we all we all have lots of ideas and some of those ideas are good and some of those ideas are bad and some of those ideas are good but at the wrong time and it's it's worth trying to figure out which is which and not abandoning things just because they didn't work out once because it could be that the idea that you had is actually a really great idea it's just that you haven't met the right partner yet or you're not at the right stage of your life yet you know my wife and I wrote a novel called Mr. Nice Guy that came out a couple of years ago as you guys know and um, that came out of an idea that I had like like 12 years earlier that I tried to write and failed. And as it turns out, I, who I couldn't have known at the time, but eventually what I discovered is that it was an idea that wasn't ready yet. It was an idea that needed me to find a partner, which turned out to be my wife, to write this book. And so that's great. That's not a failure of an idea. That's a success of an idea. So our listeners... For example, our chefs, bartenders, bar owners, hoteliers have so much to offer you with a compelling story. Mm -hmm. So how do they get your attention or how do they pitch you or the magazine? Yeah. So before you share it, I would really encourage you to decide to go through the process of figuring out who you should be trying to get press from. Who who are you sharing your story with? Because I get here's a here's a kind of example from the food and hospitality space. I'll get I, I once had somebody who was running some successful hot dog food trucks and they were doing a good job in the Washington, D.C. area, which is the only place that they operated. And now they were trying to pitch me. And I told them, and I don't usually give people this kind of feedback, but I think that they were talking to me at a conference. And so I said, um, I said, listen. You are, you have a limited amount of time. You're an entrepreneur. You have, you're stretched for time. You need to be using that time the way that you use your money, which is to say that it is a limited resource and you need to make the most out of it. And you are wasting your time pitching Entrepreneur Magazine because even if I wrote about you, even if I don't think that that gets you anything, right? What it does is it gets you coverage in a publication that is largely reaching a consumer base that is not able to buy your hot dogs. And so who cares, right? You should be getting press because you should be driving sales of your hot dogs. That is your top priority in getting press. And getting press in Entrepreneur Magazine is not reaching your consumer at all. And it's probably unlikely that at this stage you're going out and raising investor money. And so like, it's not really worth there's nothing there's nobody to show this story to i would instead focus on trying to get press from washingtonian 
from the Washington Post, from if Eater has a Washington area, right? You you need you need a publication that matches your needs. You don't go out and get press just to get it because that's an ego trip. And there's you don't nobody has time for ego trips in entrepreneurship. Um, but let's say that you figured it out and that for some reason or another, entrepreneur is actually the thing that you want to try to pitch to. Well, then in that case, um, email. I mean, the answer is just email. Uh, the answer is that if you you send a note, figure out a staffer uh, or a writer at a publication that seems most likely to be receptive to what it is that you do. If you are in the food space, see if you can find somebody who works at Entrepreneur who's written a bunch about food um, or who tweets a bunch about food or something so that there's some kind of entry point. If you have something that is easily sampleable, it's... It's not a terrible idea to send it. At least it gets somebody's attention. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to. Uh, I, certainly, the, the the number of things that are sent to magazine offices that just sit in a corner somewhere is tremendous. But you know, if you uh, I don't know if you make great ice cream um, and you got some ice cream to send to the office, somebody's going to pay attention. Um, and um, but really, if it comes down to research, to understanding who you're reaching out to, to what they publish, to what their publication publishes, and how do you tell your story in a way that's most useful to them? I wouldn't do phone calls. I wouldn't try to get a meeting with somebody because people don't have time. Um, it, it, you know, if you do see somebody at a conference, by all means, go up and say hi. That's really a great opportunity. But there's there's no shame in just uh, just send an email. And now for the listener question segment of our show. Great. Uh, we have a question from Corey Fitzsimmons and Jeff McGlinchey of Method Spirits. Great. They're both former head bartenders hey guys. at Danny Meyer's Union Square Cafe, and they're launching a New cool. York State vermouth, which is quite good. We tried it. Uh, they're curious to know at what stage of an entrepreneur's career trajectory is entrepreneur most interested? For example, are they more interested in when they're first starting out as newbies or when they've achieved some success, or if they have a really proven track record with multiple successes under their belt. Right. So great question. And the answer is that you're you're thinking about it all wrong. Um, it's not about some specific checklist. It's not about somebody at one particular phase. Because if that was the case, I mean, just like think about the logic of producing something, right? If, 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 you, were, if you were running a spirits company and I was like, what does it take to be a spirit that you'll make? Does it have to have alcohol in it? Does it have to taste good, right? Like I, I, what I'm asking are questions that are kind of ridiculous because they throw the doors open to everything in a way that doesn't make any sense, right? Um, if we were to say, right, people seem to think at entrepreneur, they think that we cover, we write about entrepreneurs. If that was the case, well, then what on earth is the filter by which we're doing anything? And most importantly, why would anybody care? Why would our readers care? Because we're not here to serve the people that we write about, right? We're not service providers. This is something that I think people kind of misunderstand about media. We're not service providers. We're not here to write about you. What we're here to do is serve our reader. 
So we have a mission and an idea of how to serve our reader, which is, a, which is an audience of entrepreneurs. And we do that in a very particular way. And so the stories that we tell serve that mission. If we were just to write about everybody who's like, if, if I were to tell you, oh yeah, well, what we're looking for is um, th- that you have to be in business three years and you have to have reached um, $7 million in sales. Well, then th- we would just write about everybody who hits that. And that doesn't make any sense. How is that valuable to any? reader. So what am I actually looking for? What I'm looking for are problem-solving strategies that have played out, right? So what I want are, because I, I said it before, like it's all about learning from people. So I want to be able to share a story in which somebody faced a challenge and then they did something that was very smart, perhaps counterintuitive to overcome that challenge. And then enough time has passed so that we see that they were correct. And therefore we have a sense of problem, solution, validation. That could happen at any stage of a business. And for that reason, sometimes I'll write about somebody who's, who's, problem and solution happened three years ago. I don't care because it's not a news magazine. It's a magazine that's telling you a better way to think. So that's the filter that I use. Don't think of it as if it's something that you have to check some particular boxes. Again, it comes down to reading the publication, getting a real critical understanding of what it is that they're doing, the way that they're telling stories, and then figuring out how you can tell your story in that way. And if you look at Entrepreneur Magazine, what you'll see is that we are all in one way or another about telling stories about problem solving. As you know, Jason, our podcast is Hospitality Forward because we believe our industry will bounce back. Yes. And as you said, the future is coming. It is. The future is coming. The future is here. The future is not optional. It is not. You cannot opt out of it. In your opinion, what are some of the things that you're seeing or hearing or even thinking about that you think will move hospitality forward or more broadly move business forward? Yeah. Well, when I think about hospitality right now, the thing that I am most interested in and excited about, aside from just kind of um, enjoying the things that are produced, uh, the thing that I'm really fascinated with really is policy. And I'm not much of a policy guy, but when I saw, okay, I saw like everyone saw that shortly after restaurants all had to close, that suddenly they were able to sell alcohol in ways that they hadn't before. You could now walk up and buy a drink and walk down the street with it. Or they could deliver alcohol to you in a way they hadn't before. And I thought, what is that? What's going on with that? And the answer, of course, is that all these regulations had been swiftly waved away because this was an opportunity for restaurants to drive revenue and it was a way for them to stay afloat. But I called the Restaurant Association of America or whatever the name of it is, National Restaurant Association. And I I asked them about this. I talked to this guy over there and he said that they have been trying for years, for years to get states to adopt exactly what we're doing right now, which is to get rid of completely ridiculous, nonsensical regulations over the sale of alcohol and just let people sell it like a normal product, which it is. And nobody would do it. Everybody was terrified of it. And so that just went absolutely nowhere until dot, 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 a pandemic comes along and it completely changes the way that everybody thinks. And that to me is very, very exciting because you're seeing this not just in um, 
not just in the way that uh, alcohol is able to be sold, but for example, zoning has also changed a lot in hospitality now, where suddenly, you know, there used to be a bazillion restrictions on where you could put a table outside your restaurant, and now that's all gone. Good! Get rid of it. It was stupid to begin with, and so was the so was the um, the uh, the alcohol stuff. I'm really excited about all these changes because I think that it's finally moving us towards where we needed to be in the first place, which was having more sensical conversations about regulations and how hospitality can serve people. And so, my challenge to everybody is to one take advantage of that stuff and show consumers that it's good and valuable and that they want it and that they should be able to keep it after this is all over. The Re- National Restaurant Association. Association's polls show internal polls show that 80% of consumers like this change and want it to stay. And I think that it's going to be hard for a politician now to start reeling that stuff back in. And that is good. So I'm very excited for those things and for all the other kinds of changes that are now made possible because the pandemic has allowed us finally to consider things that we were afraid to consider before. And we need to encourage that and keep going with it. Jason, it's been so much fun talking to you. Where can our listeners find you? Ah, listeners can find me in all sorts of places, but I will distill it down to a few. Uh, you can go to jasonpfeiffer.com, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com, which has links to pretty much everything that I do. You can also sign up for my newsletter there. I am very active on social media, Instagram, at HeyPfeiffer, LinkedIn, just search Jason Pfeiffer. And then also, of course, uh, you know, we talked about that Problem Solvers podcast, so you can go check that out. Great. As always... Thank you so much for inspiring us. Oh, thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Jason always inspires me and also encourages me to embrace change, which is so important these days. Now that you've learned some tips for getting Jason's attention, feel free to reach out to him and mention that you heard him on our podcast. And of course, just remember Jason's advice and do's and don'ts feeling a bit more enlightened, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues. In our next episode, we chat with the dynamic duo from VinePair, Adam Teeter and Erica Ducey. Tune in to listen to these multi-talented experts on all things wine, beer, spirits, and cocktails, and learn how to tell your story in the most compelling way. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.